look at it as AI gives us a superpower in processing information that we don't have. So to give you a sports example, if you're doing strategy for an upcoming match, if you're in the World Cup, there's very short time in between games, you can't take a week to look at hours and hours of video. You need something that's going to suggest or curate that information that you need and then pre-process that. So there's still a human in the loop. When you think about it from a medical perspective, when we first introduced Watson, Watson didn't replace the doctor, but was able to go out and process a lot more information to give the doctor a more curated view of something that he can take, he or she can take into consideration for a diagnosis or a care plan. So to me, I think no matter what the industry is or what the application is, it's not replacing the human, but it's giving the human superpowers of processing that we just don't have. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Today, I have for you Nancy Hensley, who is the Chief Marketing and Product Officer over at Stats Perform. Stats Perform is the market-leading sports technology company across media and tech, betting and team performance. She's had a 20-year career in big tech at IBM and she, where she was former chief digital officer, which includes IBM data and artificial intelligence. She's also become an advocate women in tech and women in sports. And she lives in Chicago. And yes, she checks all the boxes <laughs> on her sports preferences with Blackhawks, Cubs, and Bears fan. Nancy, welcome yeah. to lead the team. Thank you. Happy to be here. For the listeners, I had to record that intro like three or four times. <laughs> Nancy, you're a, great, you're a great sport here. Thank you for that. You're uh, welcome. So first off, what... Why does having better data help you win in sports? Uh, well, it's a good day to ask that because Croatia, who is probably one of the most underrated Cinderella teams, is probably one of the leading teams that uses data in their strategy to figure out how they play against the team, how they do the right formations. It's all data-driven and analysis. That's going to uncover patterns and secrets that if you if you look, you'll find um, the right mm -hmm. answers. So the most successful teams are very, very data-driven, including Very Timely, who's playing right now. They're a little bit behind, but don't count them out, uh, <laughs> Croatia. Uh, against so she starts and yelling and screaming during this, right. hopefully it'll be <laughs> laughter of, or, or excitement screams or something like that. Well. Yeah, so I, I looked at some of that information before I got on, and I was immediately intrigued. I'm a huge uh, advocate for youth sports in general, and I have a daughter who's in sports, and I love coaching her and her teams. And I'm thinking, man, the data even for younger kids sports has mm -hmm. come 
so far. What is the, I guess, youngest team, if you know that you provided sports technology for? <laughs> well, we were B2B, so we mostly focus on starting at college. We have a lot of NCAA okay. Uh, in particular, even some more focused and rich data on draft picks for the NBA, for example. Oh, so okay. that's a, another great example. And when you think about you're making a multi-million dollar decision and you have very surface level data on these candidates. So we've actually gone back and used computer vision to pull out more performance data by using computer vision against broadcast video um, hmm. to pull out more performance data, deeper data on the candidates, which gives them more informed decisions about these draft picks. So drop top draft picks across seven leagues. Wow. Um, yeah. So you, <laughs> you, so you have a, so we don't, we don't have to get too far in the weeds, but I think it's pretty mm -hmm. interesting for how you collect the data. So you have the cameras through the, through the TV. So you don't have to be there in person with your technology, but you also have cameras on site for the events. We do it always. So there are stadiums that have in-camera systems that we leverage, and we actually sell those cameras at well as well. We can use okay. broadcast video to collect that using computer vision to do that. Um, we use a combination of some things. We use broadcast, or we use computer vision to actually quality check some of our collection. And we have physical data collectors in the stadiums as well. So we have all different types of methods to collect data. Um, all of it results in sub-second data delivery as well. So like this data streaming into those sports books is sub-second. When you ask, uh, I won't say her name because she's sitting right next to me, A-L-E-X-A or Siri, the score, that's all about, you know, that's us driving those type of experiences with really quick responses through these voice wow. or uh, different types of experiences with sports data. So take So taking the Croatia team down and some of the analysis that we've seen you know, that you've shared, you know, publicly on that. Do the players have like chips embedded in their jerseys and they've <laughs> got cameras? Is it no, the players don't actually like wearing anything that physically tracks them. That's why okay. computer vision is a great technology because okay. they don't have to wear anything um that that uh tracks data. There's a lot of challenges around personal fitness data in some countries. Um, so that's become a bit of a challenge. Uh, however, there is more of an agreement around what performance data makes sense. And now that we can use computer vision to do that across multiple sports, it's become a great way to collect data and not infringe on the on the athlete themselves. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I remember the whole chip in the jersey controversy. Some people didn't want it, some people did. You've got a technology now that says, hey, you don't have to have it. That's uh, right. I've also read some interesting things like um, before a a college basketball coach. I remember specifically. I, I went to the University of Alabama, and I was I was listening to some stuff from uh, Nate Oates, who's the coach there. How he wants the I don't know who he works with or how he does it, but he wants to get the data and review it before he actually mm -hmm. goes into the post game mm -hmm. uh, press Absolutely. conference because Absolutely. he always wants to ground that. I, I guess he's a big data guy on that front. Yep. I have at, behind you, I actually have our dashboard going live on the on the game that's right now. So I've got all the live data, the play-by-play, -play, if there's yellow cards, specific insights that are automatically generated uh, as a result of what's happening within the game. Um, all of it right at my fingertips. This is basically what a broadcaster sees, what a researcher might see, heat maps, drive charts, American football, all of that. All in one place. It's pretty cool. Wow. Wow. So data data geeks unite. This is your, 
So this is taking the uh, the money ball game and putting it on steroids, mm-hmm. essentially, because you've got yeah. way more data than Billy Bean. Yeah, maybe he exactly. has it now. So <laughs> funny you bring that up because the the person who wrote the baseball abstract was one of our founders um, of Stat. So we okay. we've always been driven by that spirit of more data to tell a deeper story of the game. And that's basically the the passion that is within everybody in the company. So we're all data geeks. We're all sport data geeks. That's our passion. Um, And basically, you can use it not just to do the analysis of a strategy, but to really tell a much more interesting story of what's happening in the match or the game. Sure. And are are you allowed to communicate the data to the people playing the game during the game? Or does it vary by sport? Or how does that... Um, yeah, I mean, teams, available. leagues, broadcasters, digital publishers, like the the myriad of who buys our data is across, you know, everything from like what I mentioned to even sports books, you name it. So sports data is valuable across multiple fronts, but it's also valuable in terms of driving sponsorships or your brand as well, because it gets the most uh, engagement. So you'll see a lot of brands just using sports data just to drive recognition to their brand, even though they have nothing to do with sports. Wow. Interesting. Because people spend a lot of time on that page looking at That's it. Right. That's There's right. That Croatia graph that came out after the last game and it showed their passing lanes and the frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent a second and, and was looking <laughs> at it. I was like, it really stopped the scroll uh, to go check that out. Yeah. Are you seeing this uh, driving NIL? I mean, I don't know if you can correlate it directly, but players before maybe they had to maybe they had to depend on in college the school to give them the data. Uh, now, I guess the data is out there, so they can yeah. leverage it in interesting ways to Absolutely. drive their own contracts. They can focus on building their brand and their brand equity themselves. Um, social is a great way to do that. A lot of those graphs that you saw, especially in uh, Croatia, I think FIFA is using, we have a tool that helps you pull together these these beautiful graphics very quickly. All of our data is connected on the back end. So it takes you literally like less than a minute to pull together one of those graphics that you see. (laughs) Wow. All right. So we could literally spend all of our time talking about this, but Mm -hmm. there's way more to go here (laughs) because, you know, we, I highlighted your executive role over at IBM, which sounds really cool, but let's go further back to Mickey D's. Mm-hmm. Okay, you weren't always well. Maybe you were always into data, uh, but how in the world did you go from McDonald's <laughs> to Big Blue, and now mm-hmm. you're doing this really cool gig with uh data over at Stats Perform? So that is a great question because it was at McDonald's where I can legitimately say I fell in love with data for the first time. And Hmm. I had worked on multiple projects, including building POS systems, not that exciting. But when I, I was on a project where we were actually looking to accelerate the purchase of real estate for McDonald's. So when I worked for Hmm. McDonald's, they owned every piece of real estate under every store. They were the second largest real estate holder to the Catholic church. So you can imagine that was a very large investment for the company. It's where the money came from. So acquiring real estate actually became really key to their profitability and Mm -hmm. revenue. 
And it was a very slow process. There was a model that the research team had built and they would they would send out the real estate guys to go out and take a look at it. And they bring it back and they do the analysis and it would take two or three weeks for them to figure out, do we build a McDonald's or not build a McDonald's here? So we took that model and we actually automated it so that they would go out, they would use their laptop to collect the X, Y coordinates. They bring it back in, they connect it to our system and we would crank out the analysis um, huh. of what, what if we built a McDonald's there, what kind of revenues would we be looking at? Would it affect other McDonald's in that area? We were way ahead of our time using spatial analysis. And then I thought, well, what else could we use this for? Like, what else could we use spatial data for? Because this is a very easy way for people to interact. And then we looked at using it for security purposes. And we were losing lawsuits because people were suing McDonald's because the parking lot wasn't very well lit and they got mugged or something. And so... As we started to take more <laughs> proactive measures, but then they took proactive measures where we could easily show, we could build a crime layer and the security team could have a great view of where they need to zoom in and focus, contacting a store to do a security check and then make some proactive suggestions to fix lighting or doors locking or whatever it might be. And things started to turn around and, and it, you know, they started winning things in court. And then I thought, all right, what else could we use this for? And so I just got really excited about how much data can change a way business functions. And that's when I truly, truly fell in love with data and made the decision to go work for IBM because I wanted to do it all the time. <laughs> so you sort of fell into it or you got exposed to it at McDonald's mm -hmm. and then you went a little harder into it and you're like, okay, I actually like this. And then mm -hmm. once you made that self, they had that moment of self-discovery. Yep. Molly bar the door. You just going crazy. Absolutely. With yep. That's why I spent 20 years just in data and analytics, all in the same area, just doing different roles within data analytics. Wow. Okay. So it's very, very interesting. And so for the listeners, there, there's a lot of levels to experience that, but one is that self-discovery and taking action as a leader. When you figure out what you really enjoy leading, what, what groups you enjoy leading, uh, but the other is kind of heading into IBM, it, you were had a combined role, it looked like, with data and artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is obviously an area, a very sensitive area, and it's been mm -hmm. expanding. We actually uh, recently had an interview with, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Manoj Saxena, who's the, uh, he was in involved with IBM Watson a while back, mm -hmm. and now he mm -hmm. has the Artificial Intelligence Institute. So he's kind of looking at these ethical dilemmas that pop up with AI. Mm -hmm. What yeah. is your pers wait, what's that? I said, that's important. That's important to keep an eye on that for sure. So uh, in terms of threats to humanity, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like it, I've heard it talked about many times is like a hey, global warming. It's a global problem. Even if people aren't willing to take action, they don't really want it to increase. Right. But artificial intelligence companies are being incentivized and leaders are incentivized to put resources behind it, grow it, accelerate it. And so, as a leader, mm -hmm. what's your perspective on how we should be thinking about artificial intelligence? I think you have to look at it as AI gives us a superpower in processing information that we don't have. So to give you a sports example, if you're doing strategy for an upcoming match, if you're in the World Cup, there's very short time in between games. You can't take a week to look at hours and hours of video. 
You need something that's going to suggest or curate that information that you need and then pre-process that. So there's still a human in the loop. When you think about it from a medical perspective, when we first introduced Watson, Watson didn't replace the doctor, but was able to go out and process a lot more information to give mm-hmm. the doctor a more curated view of something that he can take, he or she can take into consideration for a diagnosis or a care plan. So to me, I think no matter what the industry is or what the application is, it's not replacing the human, but it's giving the human superpowers of processing that we just don't have. And that's the way we should look at it. And if we keep that balanced out, then AI will be a, a productive technology for everyone. Um, and it, and I think it also helps take maybe some of the monotonous roles that people don't want to do and help them focus on higher value roles. So I'll give you another example. So we we do we have a product that does natural language generation. So if you're a, a, a digital publisher, you have two things that you have to do. You have to cover events that happen in sports, like here's what happened in the game. And then there's like the really interesting stories, like what I shared with you on Croatia, like a, a more mm-hmm. in-depth analysis that takes more of a human a, a lot, and data to do. And so in order for you to be able to really lean into the more high value stuff, it's harder because you've got a lot of coverage on the lower, just here's what happened. We mm-hmm. could actually cover all that with natural language generation. We could actually crank out pre-match analysis, player bios, coverage of games, all using computer-generated capabilities that, that's data-driven, that sounds very human-like. Um, and it's just, it's basic wow. coverage. That allows these digital publishers to focus on the things that are higher value that people actually enjoy more. So if you're a reporter, would you rather do an article like what I shared with you on Croatia or what happened in the game, right? So there's a lot of advantages that really depends on how you look at it. I like that. So as a leader, the question that comes up for mind uh, that I'm thinking about maybe for myself and others to consider based on what you said was, how are you going to use AI in the next 12 months to expand or accelerate your capabilities? Like in mm-hmm. publishing, so you can mm-hmm. spend more time on the human elements of of the story right? versus just trying to copy down all the stats that, that right. happened. Or having a chat bot that's on your website, 24 by 7, that's answering some very basic questions that it would, a human would have to do. But instead, that chat bot's going to actually do some pre-qualification. And then now they can make appointments directly in their calendars and open up an opportunity in your CRM system. So there's a lot of automation that helps us accelerate the human side to the higher mm-hmm. value things that we want to do. I like to accelerate the human side to the higher value. Makes a lot of sense to me. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. What's a bit of advice that you would give your younger self if you'd you'd (laughs) run into her today? pay more attention in math class because it's <laughs> because uh, I think <laughs> I when I was younger, I didn't <laughs> exactly I didn't appreciate how how much that would give you superpowers later. I mean that is the data scientist is one of the most influential people in the organization to be able to analyze and articulate and see patterns 
And I, I, I was not a big fan of math, but I did love statistics. So I, I actually fell in love with statistics in, in college. But to me, it made more sense because I could understand how to apply that to solve a problem. But just the basic math, I think most kids don't understand that the stuff that they're learning, whether it's patterns or shapes, are going to help them do some really cool things later in life. So uh, I try my best. In fact, one of the things on my to-do list is to, is to create a video for a high school math class to talk to them about how patterns matter in sports and how, you know, pay attention, because this is the kind of cool job you can get some days doing stuff like this. Wow. Yes. I think my daughter's school would be interested in that for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it's, so one of the, so thinking about, uh, I know one of the things that you're interested in too, are, is, um, are, are women in science and STEM mm -hmm. and women yep. in sports. Uh, where did this interest originate for you? I think it was, you know, being a woman in tech for so many years and I, you know, <laughs> full transparency, I was extremely lucky to be where I was with IBM because it was a very safe place, always very much a promoter of women, always a place where I, no matter what happened in my life, when I became a single mom, I never felt like I lacked opportunity. And so I felt like I had so many advantages, but I heard tons of horror stories. And even when I was in consulting prior to that, and some of my time at McDonald's wasn't always the most ideal for a woman in tech. And so I, I've gone through fighting those uphill battles. And, and one of the things I noticed was I didn't have enough mentors or enough women to look up to, to say, well, she did it. So I can do it. There just wasn't enough out there at the time. Um, certainly none that looked like me, which were single moms and single moms mm -hmm. just weren't becoming tech executives. So it's important to me to pay it forward and to listen and pay attention. And, and we know that we're losing girls in STEM in and around uh, right before high school. So one of the things I make sure I do every year is take the time to do GirlCon, which is go in and talk to these. They're probably around sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and talk to them about the future of tech. And um, it was great fun last time. I basically was telling them all about sports tech and, you know, can you see yourself in sport tech? There's all these jobs you can do in sports tech. And none of them really understood that this was even a thing, right? That this was a job that they could do. And so to see the inspiration of, hey, you know, now I know what I want to do. And if we can kind of keep them motivated and bring more women into, into sports, into technology, then it'll also help with some of the bias on the AI side, right? We don't want all of our predictions and models built by the same gender or the same demographic. So you need mm. to make sure that you are managing bias, even in what we're doing with AI, with having more women involved. That's an excellent point because the black box of AI can get crazy quickly and grow and get out there and impact mm -hmm. a lot. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. So what was it like being, a, and you mentioned being a single mom, uh, what mm -hmm. was it like navigating the executive ranks of a big organization uh, with that in mind? I would say that I really thought um, I wasn't going to make it to the executive ranks when I was going through the divorce. And I was really quiet about it. In fact, I don't think I told my boss until the very last minute, like I need the day off because I have to go to court for my divorce. She had no idea I was going through it, hmm. but um, it, it didn't, you know, I think I was probably more aware of my limitations and I, there were some limitations. I couldn't travel as much. I couldn't travel at the drop of the pin. And uh, mm -hmm. once I got past that and once I could explain to people, you know, it was, was not that big of a deal. I think women 
tend to focus on our own limitations and then become self-limiting for ourselves. But um, I was lucky. I was in a place where I was the only one that saw my limitations. And so when I made it to the executive ranks again, I made that commitment. I got to pay it forward. I got to make sure that there's women out there that know they can get through it and get there. Fantastic and inspiring. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why is it important? Insane curiosity was the one trait I would say I wish everyone had all the time. And I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, it it helps you, it, it drives that desire and passion to do great things, to do the impossible. I used to, I love the phrase, I think it was a Walt Disney quote, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And if you have that insane curiosity, you're always driving towards like, how do I get this done? Or how do you work through a really tough problem? Or what is the next great thing? And so, and you're always learning. You're, you're learning more about your business, your industry. So I think that would be the one trait that if I could install that in everyone, that's just always curious, asking questions, looking for answers. Um, that would be the one trait I would would want. We often work with leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover, which our research says it can be over $230,000 per employee per year when you add up all the different aspects of it. What's your perspective on tracking the cost of turnover and being in your world? Uh, I bet the tracking piece uh, might have some extra <laughs> significance. Yeah, I think so. that's a tough one because sometimes turnover is necessary for growth, right? Um, and also I've learned that you can you can create some great talent. You can inspire and grow some great talent, but you can't always hang on to them. So um, that should be actually a testimony to what you can offer as a company. If somebody has launched into a great role after they've worked in your organization, um, I think that that is, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. So, but now, on, as you said, it does, it does cost money for a company to, to retrain. And in this job market, sometimes it could cost you 2X to replace someone. So I do think there needs to be some proactive thinking around the cost of turnover and 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 if you can afford it. And then in some cases, it might actually be healthy for the company. So I don't look at it as all negative, even though, you know, it always hurts to lose a great talent. Um, at the same time, I've, I've grown some people that I've been really proud of that have gone on to do great things. And to me, that's uh, it's a compliment. Yeah, I think a great message there to also to think about your your team, your employees' natural evolution as a professional. Mm-hmm. And there may not be a place there for them to be a CMO because you've already got a right. great CMO is you. So they're going <laughs> right. to have to go and develop somewhere else. So so I really right. like that uh, development perspective. Without including names, of course, what's your mm-hmm. most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? <laughs> I had to think about this one, but this one came to mind. So it was the week of 9-11. And every manager had to physically speak to, on the phone, every employee so they could validate that they were okay. And so my boss was trying to track down one of my teammates. And he was marked out on vacation. So they called the house and said, I'm really sorry to bother you on vacation, but I I have to physically speak to this person 
and validate that they are okay. And she she got their spouse and their spouse said, not on vacation, he's out on a business trip. So what? So (laughs) nobody Uh, knew where this person was. (laughs) As it turns out, it was not business business. And so he was doing things he probably shouldn't have been doing. but I think the, the, the weird thing is, is that if, if 9-11 <laughs> hadn't happened, exactly, if 9-11 hadn't happened, it would have never, it would have never flushed out. So the, obviously his wife figured out <laughs> when his boss called that he was not on a business trip, his boss figured out that he'd been possibly booking expenses that were not business related and things did not go well for this person. <laughs> he he might've gotten fired multiple times at work yeah, and at I home mean, that day. Well, what are the, you know, what are the chances that that all can hit at just absolutely the yeah, wrong oh my time? Gosh. But, yeah, uh, what a, yeah, what a crazy time in general. <laughs> yeah, Man, yeah. Exactly. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that's a good one. So uh, when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and it had to lead to your success or growth on down the road? So I had to think about this one because, you know, obviously there's always a couple of times where you are reevaluating, but early in my career at IBM, I was kind of on the rise and I was, uh, I was in the position of building my own team. I pitched to our general manager, the job that I wanted and the team that I wanted to build, which is another great lesson learned. And she had given me the rights to go do that. And so I was oh. empowered to build this global team. And I was kind of in recruiting mode and people were starting to come to me like, hey, I want to come be on this great new team that you're building. And I earned the enemy of someone who did not necessarily want me to be on the rise. Um, Didn't really know her that well, but she just decided she was going to take me down and did everything she could from, you know, saying I was like recruiting her people without her permission, you know, like doing everything she could to get me fired, report me to HR, just made my life miserable for months. I mean, it was relentless. And I, I realized that I had like two decisions. I could react, you know, and I could, or, and let her win, or I could just stay true to who I was. And I I ended up having to face her at an event. And you, I was walking in the door and I remember seeing her and you could see she was just like ready for battle. Like she was waiting for me to walk towards her and she was just going to drop some sort of bomb or something. And I, I sucked in my breath. I walked over to her. I gave her a hug and I said, it's great to see you. And she just was like, because I'm Italian, I hug everybody. Um, she was so disarmed. She just didn't even know it. She was just dumbfounded. And I think she just realized, you know what? She's just not gonna. She's not gonna react. She's not gonna fight back. She's not gonna. She's not gonna engage on this. And I'll just support her. <laughs> she wow. literally just was like a 360 degree turn. I think it's important. So it wasn't to stay words. True well, it was words, but it was. Yeah, it was more the action that. of. I am. I'm not. At least I didn't kiss her on the cheek. It would have been like a different kind of Italian signature. But um, <laughs> I've seen the Godfather. <laughs> exactly right. But I think it was more about I'm going to stay true to who I am. I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to bow down to this kind of crappy politics. And you can keep coming at me, but I'm going to keep going forward. I love that, and it sounds like you were playing into a level of of authenticity mm-hmm. that you. Yep. That you try to bring to your and that's not always easy. 
That's not always the end of that. That gets tested all the time. <laughs> so, but I learned the lesson once and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back because I think the authentic, honest leader eventually will win. Hmm. Maybe more painful for us though. What are three success strategies that all employees need to understand? Three success strategies. I think one is data is your best friend. <laughs> so whenever you go to make a case, business case, an argument, whatever it might be, make sure you have the data um, and back it up, leverage whatever you can. Um, so if you're bringing forward ideas, strategies, new product ideas, thoughts, marketing ideas, have the data, um, have the data to back you, customer research, whatever it might be. Um, I think understanding that communication is absolutely everything, but different people need different types of communication. So when you're talking to executives, you need to net it out. <laughs> A lot of people don't understand that. Please don't send us emails that are two pages long. <laughs> like it's only an hour presentation. It. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Net it out. But some others need more, more details. So having a communication strategy that fits different levels within your company, but understand that communication is everything, um, especially if you're in something like product, right? I mean, our biggest challenge all the time is just alignment and communication across the organization because it takes a village to bring a product to market. And then I think the third thing is to really take the time to learn the business that you're in, um, ask questions, you know, become an expert, engage, um, go read books from people who, <laughs> who are experts in your business, get mentors. Um, I mean, I, ju I jumped into sports and I had to, I had to go find mentors. I had to, I had to ask people a lot of questions. There was one gentleman that worked for us who unfortunately passed away, uh, last year. He has, he's been an expert in our company, had been an expert in our company for years. And I think I bugged him a thousand times a day because he was just the end all be all of information when it came to sports. And he taught me so much and I will be forever mm. grateful to him. Um, but he also talked, he he was the one that was basically feeding information to the broadcasters. So when he actually passed oh. away, all the broadcasters paid tribute to him across almost every sport because he was wow. just amazing. So having that one person who really like, yeah, I'm going to let you bug me with a thousand questions where you can really start to understand the business is really, really crucial. What's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that the listeners today could go out and purchase? I wish there was this magical gadget that could do that. <laughs> but for me, it's it's really anything that curates information that I need to pay attention to. So mm -hmm. something as simple as, um, you know, putting up a bunch of key alerts in Google that helps curate content for things that I want to keep an eye on, whether they're competitors or specific announcements. Um, alerts about exciting sports games. Right? Go Google could, alerts. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love my Google alerts, right? Or even using A-L-E-X-A, she's sitting next to me, so I can't say it, um, to do just curate a bunch of information. Like to me, one day I want to invent like this super assistant who can just take everything across my life, my sports interests, my job, everything, and just kind of consolidate it all into like, here's where you need to focus your time and here's where you should spend some time. Like here's where you need to fit in a workout. Like that super assistant to me would be like the best gadget ever. I like that. It, it does seem to lend itself. Maybe sometimes we have too much data. Is that possible? It is because you have to, it's, you still need all of that content curated. There's so much coming at you that you still need like just 
give me the headlines. That's why I think there's such a big change in how people consume sports. Like there's more people that watch highlights than watch the whole game because there's so much going on, right? There's so many different sports going on. So I think it's, we've just gotten to the point where there is so much coming at us that we need things that, that organize and curate information for us to our needs, personalized to our needs. I like that. There used to be, I'm trying to think if I've run anything, you know, there was a, there was an old app on the still around called Flippad or Flipboard. Oh yeah. Where it yeah. used to bring in, I mean, it wasn't as advanced as what you're talking about there, but they, they would aggregate news feeds from your preferences with social media. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if they're still around or not, but I don't know. But even like my Apple like watch crazy, is but. an aggregation of content, right? My, my schedule is on there. My sports alerts are on yeah. there. You know, my, my fitness tracking is on there. So yeah, mm-hmm. that to me mm-hmm. is the, the magical thing. <laughs> Nancy wrapping up today. What's your parting thought for our listeners? Gosh, I think um, from a leadership perspective, the one thing I will say is that if you have that great idea, if you have that thought or that new business idea or new product idea, go pitch it. Like, <laughs> Do what I did as, when I got my, that job at IBM as I sat in a car with an executive and I pulled out a PowerPoint and I pitched that job. Like, We are listening. We are dying here that I tell my team all the time, like, hey, my door is always open. Book 15 minutes. Let's just connect. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. Like it's all of the great ideas are not going to come from me. They're going to come from the, all the, the people on the front line. So you have those thoughts and ideas, organize them, make it concise, go pitch those ideas. Don't be afraid. There's executives that are dying to hear them. Wow. All right, y'all go do it. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Nancy, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.